Hello, hello, hello. I am your Adore Delano, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm your hostess with the mostess, Munoz. And how y'all doing? Oh my God, can you all believe it's the end of May already? Pride is one week away. I mean, I think I think the countdown of days, I know I do this every week, but I think the countdown is left over from those panini that we are still in, believe it or not, the pandemic, the pandemic, whatever we're calling it. Maybe I should stop calling it a panini because I really enjoy a tasty hot sandwich now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and I maybe, yeah, I, I don't know if I like this negative connotation that I've just put on paninis. Random thought of the day. Yes. <laughs> but you know what I mean in the sense of you know, we were stuck in the house, especially I'm in 120 square feet, as you all may or may not know, in Times Square. So like that countdown, that countdown till 40, that countdown of just how long we've been here, it's just kind of stuck with me. And But I'm loving this lovely New York City weather. I'm loving the sunshine. I'm loving running. I'm loving being vaccinated. I hope you are too. And starting to see people I haven't seen in forever. I am loving it all, folks. Oh, and speaking of the summer and whatnot, shameless plug, um, there are cute tank tops and a beach towel uh, for sale on the site, themunios.com forward slash mouth merch. Get your summer gear ready for the beach and for the streets, people. Something else that I love is my guest of the day. I'm going to transition quickly because I want to get to the getting on, folks. I met this beautiful person in Provincetown a very, very long time ago, and I am so excited that they are here with me today. So please help me welcome the one, the only, the gay street chef himself, Adam Ross. Say hi. Thank you for having me on. How are you? Good morning. I am doing so well. It is a really, really lovely morning. Yeah, it's it's lovely. It's like not too hot these days because we've been having a a lot of like hot weather recently so it's like kind of cooled down it's kind of you know the perfect or the happy medium here wouldn't you agree oh, i'm like sitting here in a nice little i'm like comfortable i'm sitting under a blanket i'm having my coffee it's really cool yeah you got you got an entire farm around you <laughs> in your mouth listeners adam has you know two beautiful pups and a kitty just and they're all just chilling, which I yeah, love. They're just like... Yeah, they're all just sleeping here. Yeah, I love it. Early, early morning. So for those of you that don't know, like I said, um, and you probably do know out there, a lot of you do, I met Adam about four to five years ago, one beautiful morning in Provincetown, Massachusetts, on his way to the bakery. But you may know Adam by their popular Instagram, The Gay Street Chef. And please go look, because besides the beautiful photography highlighting the queer community, you'll also get an eyeful of them scantily clad and oh is it all worth it 
I have to do something to give my mom things to talk about at work. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. We'll go, we're going to get to that too. Adam has been cooking and baking from a very young age and carried this through adulthood where they began to pursue a culinary career after college. After many years of training at various bakeries and restaurants in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Adam became the opening pastry chef at Loyal 9, which I kept saying Loyal 9. <laughs> I wish it was Loyal 9. That makes it sound much cuter. <laughs> and later at Dead Horse Hill in Worcester. Years of restaurant work left them craving a more intimate intimate environment and until COVID hit was most recently spending their time focused on making croissants. Mm -hmm. Les croissants. Les croissants. <laughs> and other pastries at Saragina Bakery in Bed-Stuy. But before we get anywhere, Adam, in the grand tradition of In Your Mouth, I need to wish you Happy National Blueberry Cheesecake Day! Oh, I love that. Is it really National Blueberry Cheesecake Day? That makes me very happy. Yeah, delicious, delicious. Uh and you may not know, um, although I know you have uh, tuned into the pod before, that like maybe a month or so ago, I had Sean Davis, who basically bakes uh, cheesecakes for a living and ships them out globally via Gold Belly. And blueberry cheesecake from Cotton Blues is his thing. And they're absolutely delicious, light and fluffy. And I mean, but I was thinking, you know, National Blueberry Cheesecake Day, I feel like cheesecake isn't really a summer dessert just because it can be a little like pasty heavy i mean it can be but it can also be really cold and refreshing and like if you serve it cold it's kind of nice on a hot day i mean are you ever serving cheesecake hot hopefully not <laughs> and if you are i'm gonna have words with you I mean, that sounds really gross. Yeah, no, it does not sound appealing. No. <laughs> favorite? Fa do you have like a favorite mainstream cheesecake? I, I do have a weakness for the like the little junior minis. Yeah. I, I can't help myself. I know they're not great, like, but they're just kind of classic and rich and... Yeah, it's iconic. It's iconic yeah. New York. It's iconic. I mean, sure, you could spackle the walls with them. You yeah. Because <laughs> they're so uh, dense. But but that's why the little ones that you can get at the, like, the bodegas or something where you're just like, you know what? I do want a $4 cheesecake right now. Yeah, why not? I mean, I am here for National Cheesecake Day, and you are yeah. in luck because it's also National Cherry Dessert Day. I don't know who comes up with these things, Adam. I'm not mad. It's okay. I still haven't. I still haven't figured it out. I mean, do you have a theory about why we need a National Food Day for like everything? I don't know. This is not something I've thought about too much. I'm not <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would love to know who is the one designating these days. I feel like somebody out there is like, you know what? Today, today is Cherry Day, guys. Yeah. I, I mean, I really want that job. I think I'd be really, really good at it. I agree. I think you would be really good at it. I think because, you have some interesting days in there. Yeah, but, like, today is the National Paw Paw Day. Yeah. Nobody would know. Yeah. Like na National Papusa Day or like something something like good and delicious and like, 
you know, like something to throw you off your tracks. But you know what? Out there, no matter what you celebrate today, whether it's Cherry Dessert Day or National Blueberry Cheesecake, you know, we honor you. We honor you and we support you in this celebration. And moving right along to this day in gay history, Adam, did you know that 1988, the first national HIV AIDS education campaign began? I did not know that. Now, this is interesting, and, you know, um, I tend not to get too, too heavy on the pod just because this podcast has always been a break from the regular news cycle, but I felt it important, especially with this day in gay history and with us on the heels of Pride, uh, that this little tidbit of gay history was really important because it took now eight years about for people, the American public, to get an education on HIV and AIDS. In 1988, Surgeon General C. Everett Koop oversees the first national education campaign regarding HIV and AIDS. The first mailing, Understanding AIDS, is mailed nationally on this day. The mail focused on debunking the myth that HIV AIDS only affected males and the LGBTQ community. That's insane. That's insane. Now, living through a pandemic, you know, and, and thinking about this prior pandemic that nobody really talks about anymore, you know? Yeah, no, it's very much, it was actually a conversation I was having with somebody the other day. And it's something I know a lot of us have said where we, you know, it took them a year to make a vaccine for this. And and, and we still don't have a cure, right? right? But I mean, that's big pharma and big money and a whole nother podcast. But some other statistics I think In Your Mouth listeners might like to know. And, you know, sometimes I'm a stats queen here, but not always, you know. (laughs) The only stats I really look for are age, sex, and location, (laughs) a la AOL AIM chats from 1996. Right? Those were the days, Ah, my friend. So cute. But in the U.S., 32,399 AIDS cases were reported to the Centers for Disease Control in 1988 for a cumulative case total since June 1981 of 82,406 cases. This total includes 1,341 cases involving children and at least 10,911 people died of AIDS in the U.S. in 1988 with a cumulative total since 1981 of 46,134 deaths. You know, it's just really crazy to think about that. It took it took the government and it took everyone so, so long to like... Get this under control. Stop spreading lies about it. Stop, you know, get the people educated about it. And, you know, it's a really interesting look back, I think, after living through and still living in a pandemic about how things were handled and how how the how the government and politics plays so much into how we receive our information and how we educate ourselves, you know. And, you know, it's a blessing and a curse, I think, sometimes in this new world that we live in, this age of social media where we're getting a lot of news from a lot of different sources all day long. Yeah, constantly thrown at us from every direction. You know, and so I just love this little tidbit, especially, like I said, on the heels of Pride. I thought it was really, really important to honor those who did not survive the last pandemic we went we went through. And, you know, just give that just give that a moment of 
of recognition and, and notoriety on this day in gay history. But let's get to the getting on and let's talk about you, Ada. <laughs> Yeah, I can't. You want to talk? Uh, I can't. I can't thank you enough for being here and giving me of your time. And actually, you posted something the other day. We've, you know, we've crossed paths many a time over sure. over oh, yeah. the past few years. Yeah. And you, the other day, you posted something that really kind of hit home to me. And I thought, oh my god, I actually. Why have I never thought of inviting him on the pod to have, you know, a grand discussion about all things? Um, gay and cooking but the or queer and cooking but Mm -hmm. this this post that you posted of like you like kind of i think it was baking bread or something and just being back in the kitchen in a different way and out of mainstream kitchens and how what a relief it was and what a joy it was to be out of that environment and in 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 like kind of like your own more more positive healing environment it seemed yeah completely it's it's kind of gotten to this point with me where i there's a part of me that will always desperately miss cooking in a restaurant and the thrill of it because it's just a constant adrenaline rush because you are constantly pushing yourself to the next ticket to the next thing you have to make it's all the time go 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 and half the time you're failing but then at the end of the night you take this deep breath and you crack a beer and you're just like, wow, shit, I just made it through that night and that feels really great. It's not really a healthy way to live and the stress is very real, but you still get this thrill out of it. There's definitely some pleasure, you know, you get from the hustle. Yeah, for sure. And we talk a lot about we, you know, the royal we, that is is me. (laughs) We talk a lot about the... um, toxic kitchen culture here on the podcast. And so that's kind of what really hit home with that post that you made the other day about toxic kitchen culture and the, you know, the male hyper-masculine dominated culture of that. And so that's why it kind of really rang home to me, right? Uh, Just being, you know, 21 years in and out of the hospitality business, you know, front of house back of house just running around through it all and what was that experience like for you like how did you navigate that uh it was it was really hard for me at times actually um especially when i was cooking in boston you know there weren't really other queer people in the kitchens there was a lot of there was a lot of that toxic masculine behavior and it was not a comfortable environment to work in all the time, especially as a queer person. And just dealing with that is really demoralizing all the time. And I'm very proud of the work that I did. And I think that I did good work in these restaurants, but they're not environments I would go back to. Um, And I really, I don't miss it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've had a lot of discussions recently about with a lot of incredible people about changing that dynamic in the kitchen and trying to build a team where they're where they are not only the most inclusive but it's like a no nonsense mentality we are here yeah. we are a family you know we are a family uh- <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a really nice push to see happening in the industry these days and i think it's a 
byproduct of a lot of those toxic environments where a lot of people my age are now going off and saying, this is the experience that I had as a queer identifying person in this toxic environment. And it's very much the opposite of the environment I want to create. I want to make my kitchen a home. I want to make it a healthy place for people to come. Because basically you, you fucking live there. And the reality of working in a kitchen is you live there. You are there almost from the time you wake up until you are ready to crash. Yeah, for sure. These are 80-hour weeks, and this is why I don't, uh, I don't, you know, um, absorb the title of chef myself. I, I, I deem myself an accomplished home cook because there is an admirable and honorable, you know, thing about, about spending and putting in the time and the work of being in that kitchen 80 hours a week, you know, with no breaks, with pushing through, yeah. You know, and just getting up and doing it all over again because that's a passion, that's a love, that's a time commitment. You know, there is barely any life outside of that. No, there is no life. It, it is your way of life. And it's actually it's something that you end up carrying with you. Like even now I think about it and I live alone. I haven't worked in a professional restaurant kitchen in almost two and a half years now. And I'll still eat my food out of a quart container standing at my counter. Because that's just what I'm used to. It's just, I have five minutes to eat. I'm going to shovel it all into my face real fast. I don't have time to think about it. Oh, my God. You really just triggered. <laughs> yeah. I feel very triggered all of a sudden. It's, it's real. <laughs> Especially you know, you go into a supermarket and you say behind to people. Yeah. Uh, forever <laughs> saying behind. Uh, forever looking at behinds. Uh, <laughs> Forever looking at your behind on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> it's a good behind. Um, I haven't flirted. My mom with- actually says I have my dad to thank for that one. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have my mom to thank for mine. I think you know, big Puerto Rican booties. But yeah, now we're off the rails, and now I <laughs> forgot my point. I haven't. I I I tend to flirt a lot with my uh, you. My, I'm yes. But you know, you know, you're alone here, and I'm alone here in 120 square feet. You know, <laughs> you have to talk to someone. I do, right? And there's nothing wrong with a little flirting, you know. Never. So, um, you know, I'll slide into your DMs later, respectfully. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but the the fact of like you know just having no time and and especially cuz i worked a, a crap ton of events and there was just no no time to like sit and eat and no time for breaks and no time for 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 much of anything because you know the service industry is just like go 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 and even though there are labor laws and you have to take x amount of breaks and and so on that never really happens for no the most part. it's a point of pride at some point you know they're yeah. seen, it's seen as a sign of respect that oh look at them they just work through their breaks they don't stop and eat like they they don't need sleep tonight. They're gonna sleep at the restaurant tonight. That's dedication. No, honey, that's unhealthy. Yeah. Where do you think where do you think that all began and that like toxic culture came from? I mean, I think it's just been a constant in kitchens, this idea that in order to be a successful chef or in order to cook well or do well in a kitchen, you have to completely dedicate your life to it. You can't have anything outside of life. And it's it's just it's this ongoing lifestyle that's promoted and it's just not something that needs to happen. It's not a realistic expectation. 
It, it really isn't. And I've actually, I think you're the first person out of all the chefs I've had on this podcast. And I, I'm just, I'm just realizing this, why that question has never come to mind. Where did this toxic kitchen culture come from? And why is it so such a thing that like a lot of these chefs have to be like ultra macho and throw yeah. things and yell and scream and like... Well, that whole persona rose up with like the rise of TV chef personalities and because it made good TV. Well, it did make good TV. But let me tell you, before the Gordon Ramsay of it all, you know, I have worked in a ton of kitchens. I have had bowls thrown at me, uh, knives, hot, knives yeah. uh, like plates put in the oven and, you know, and then put on the line for me to grab and burn myself, you know, yeah, yeah. like been screamed at, like got my food thrown in the trash, uh-huh. you know. Uh huh. But then at the same time, you go and you're supposed to be honored that you're getting this treatment because you're getting this personal attention from the chef and it's going to make you a better cook. Bullshit. You know, it's, um, yeah. And I just don't know where, where along the line in, in chef history, not, not to be confused with gay history. <laughs> <laughs> But like where someone was like, yeah, this is it. That's okay to do. This is this is the mood and the vibe. (laughs) I really don't know. But it has definitely been perpetual in the kitchen scene. Yeah, it's 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 really crazy. Talk to me about being gay in the kitchen and what that experience is like, or being actually gay and non like non-binary in the kitchen. What Uh is what is that like, and like how is that received, or is that something you've never talked about? It's definitely something I've become more comfortable talking about and just wearing openly as I've gotten older and just given less of a fuck. Um, but definitely when I was younger and first starting out in kitchens, especially, like I said, in Boston, I was definitely not settled into, you know, accepting myself as a non-binary person. That was far from where I was at the time. And even just being gay, it, it was very clear to me that if I wanted to succeed in a kitchen, I had to be a butch, masculine presenting person. And so that's what I tried to play up. And it was a lot of acting very macho and trying to put on these airs and not mince around the kitchen. And it, you know, in hindsight, at the time, it's not something I really thought about. But when I look back on it, I realized how unhappy I was as a person, how stressed I was every day in the kitchen trying to wear this personality that did not fit me. And, you know, it was seen as very much like you're the chef, you have to be in charge, like people have to look up to you and listen to you. And they're not going to do that if you don't make them respect you. And for me, because I I did not go to culinary school, so I, I didn't have any sort of training background when I first started. You know, when I was first hired as a pastry chef at this new restaurant at Loyal Nine, it was my first official, like, I just applied for the job and staged and baked for it and got the job myself. There'd been roles where I had just kind of grown into a position because somebody else got fired, but it didn't feel the same to me. So this was the first time that I had that chance to really prove myself. And the chef there was, you know, he is insanely talented. And he came from um, Stone Barns in Blue Hill. So he had a very 
strict training. So that was his experience in a kitchen. And that's what he would tell me. And it made me feel very strongly like I had to put on this almost mean masculine persona in order to succeed. And it ended up, you know, I was in a relationship that broke up. I lost a lot of weight. I was not eating healthy. I worked literally seven days a week for a year. Uh, There were nights I slept at the restaurant because I lived an hour away. And so, you know, when the restaurant closed, I had to be there four in the morning to start baking. So I would just sleep at the restaurant. There were nights where there were blizzards where I had to stay there because I either couldn't get home or I knew that if I went home, I wouldn't be able to get in in the morning. It's just not, it's not a lifestyle that is sustainable and it's not something that is healthy in any capacity. Yeah. And looking back on that, like, it's all stuff I look at myself now and I'm like, girl, what the fuck were you doing? Like, why did you waste all that time and energy trying to do all that? It's it's interesting um, hearing you speak about it because it's almost like going back in the closet. Yeah. In, in a way. Yeah. Right. And then all of a sudden, like kind of losing your self-identity in. But in this this time, losing it as a means to succeed in some place that you thought you needed to lose your identity to succeed in this profession, you know, very much so. And I'm really glad that as I've gotten older and a lot of it was when I left Boston and moved to Provincetown, uh, because, you know, when we met, I was living there. I had this realization, it was like a week into living there where I just kind of stopped and like dead in my tracks. It was like, holy fuck, I have not talked to a straight person in a week. And it was a revelation for me just to stop and be like, wait a minute, I'm in a kitchen again. And even in P-Town, I have to say, depending on the restaurant, I was still the only queer person in the kitchen. And so even there, there was a lot of that environment. But outside of the kitchen, for the first time in my life, I was surrounded by queerness. And it really opened a lot of doors for myself and in terms of my self-expression and how I thought about myself and how I thought about how I wanted to interact with people I worked with and how I wanted my kitchen life to be. Yeah, I think it's really important for the audience to hear this story specifically only because it's, it's, you know, it's a story of being true to yourself to not only find joy and happiness, but also succeed in the things you want to succeed in, in life. And, and that's the beautiful part about it is that, you know, when, when you finally realized it and, and, and you found your way, you found yourself in, in a joyful place, in, in a place where you are succeeding and being able to be who you are, Mm -hmm. which, which is, which is beautiful, which is absolutely beautiful. It was, it was actually life-changing for me. It really was. Um, and it made me realize very quickly that I did not ever want to go back to that type of toxic environment. And I kind of swore to myself at the time that I was going to one day, you know, either open a place or make a kitchen my own space where it would be that. Like, I, I, if I ever open a kitchen or have a restaurant, I want it to feel like a home kitchen. It should feel comfortable for everyone. You should not feel like you are putting yourself at any sort of risk, either mentally or emotionally or physically, by coming to work. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that should be everywhere. I saw a sign someone posted or somewhere on the internet that McDonald's had posted a sign now hiring. Uh, if you're hired, you get a free iPhone. And someone re- responded, just pay them a living wage. What, yeah. what, what the hell is this? Yeah, it, it should not be so hard. It should not be so hard. And why are you offering free iPhones when you could just pay these people a living yeah. wage? I want to pivot really quick, right, <laughs> to something else that will be life-changing for you. <laughs> and give the audience a little bit of a break and take us to my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast, a little something we like to call Food News Update. Oh, honey, you ain't ready, girl. A Maryland candy shop is selling chocolate-covered cicadas. Sure, here for it. Why not? <laughs> okay. Are, are, are you a bug lover? Have you had, like, the crickets and the um, grasshoppers I, I of it all? I've tried grasshopper. Honestly, they just kind of taste like... Have you ever had, like, fried beans? Yeah, I've had fried beans. I've also had grasshopper and crickets. Yeah, yeah. I, I find them very similar. It's just kind of a light, crunchy flavor. There's not much to it. And if no, you don't it, think about it, you're just like, okay, it's just a little crunchy snack. Yeah, it's almost like a potato chip. And yeah. like, that's a good way to put it. If you don't think about it, it just tastes like, you know what? Throw that ranch powder on it, that Hidden yeah. Valley Ranch powder, yeah. not a sponsor, but yeah. it's my fave. And they'll just taste like ranch chips and that, really that look like bugs. You well, know? That's also, I mean, food hangups are a huge thing in America where it's really just like, just get past the mental part of it because like you eat cow, you eat sheep. It's just another animal. And it, 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 it really is. About it, it's not going to make any difference. Your body does not know the difference that it's a grasshopper, I promise. Yep. Now, we on this pod, um, especially on Food News Update, we recently talked about like a restaurant in D.C. closing because of the cicadas, because all of their outside space was like surrounded by them and it was too loud, right? The cicadas, we all know that the Brood X cicadas are finally emerging. Yes. And this chocolate shop, uh, Choquette Chocolates, uh, for one, is welcoming the new, the new cicadas, right, by basically... Uh, freezing them, boiling them, you know, cleaning them, covering them in chocolate and seasoning them. And you can get a dozen for 18 bucks if you just order them online, if you want chocolate covered cicadas. I mean, I think that's a very innovative way of sustainable food sourcing. Yeah, they air fry them as well, which um, sure. this is according to Food and Wine. Thank you, Food and Wine magazine. Uh, <laughs> food news update brought to you by Food and Wine, not the sponsor. Yeah, why not? They cover them in Old Bay, too, because apparently, uh, yeah. uh, sure. why not? Yeah. Cajun cicada? Yeah, that, I mean, that just but rolls right a, off the tongue. A Cajun chocolate covered cicada? Yeah, why not? Yeah. Sure, I'm, I, I am very here for it. I have never, and as a pastry chef, okay, fine, but I, I have never put chocolate and Old Bay in the same category. I've never used them together. I've done things like chocolate and pepper. I've done chocolate and spices. Yeah. You know, if you think about it like that, yeah, sure, why not Old Bay? It's, I, I think that could actually be really good. Yeah, I think I, pair that with like a really nice bitter dark chocolate. I think that would taste really well. Yeah. All right. All right. You are you are here for this. Now, my last question about this is now these things come up every 17 years to mate and whatnot. If you're harvesting them to cook and eat them, 
are we like fucking up the ecosystem and the whole reason that they're that they're doing this? Is there? Uh, I couldn't really find, nor did I have the time to find like a bigger like what what purpose do these cicadas have for our ecosystem? You know, I, I would think that <laughs> however many this chocolate shop is snatching. Uh, I don't think it would probably make a sizable impact on the brood at large. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I, I'm, you know, sure, cicadas have to have some environmental impact. It's not like they don't. I don't know what it is exactly. Okay. But I would be hard-pressed to think that they don't serve some purpose. I, I love that you were very tickled by this. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're here for this. I absolutely yeah, think. I would absolutely try some of this chocolate. Yeah, why not? The Girl Scouts are now delivering cookies by drones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you a Girl Scout cookie fanatic? Uh, not a fanatic, actually. I get the enthusiasm behind them, but I'm just not one for box cookies. Oh, really? It's, I, I'm... It's I'm picky about cookies. Oh, what? Why? Or like picky? How? What yeah. about what about these cookies? Girl, you have good cookie. <laughs> uh, what, what? Why are you picky about cookies first and foremost? I feel like it's just one of those snooty moments where I just let myself be like, "Fuck it, I'm I've had too much experience with making cookies to settle for cookies anything less." Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I first started to bake a lot of cookies myself because I used to run this thing called National Cookie Week, but way Mm -hmm. before the podcast ever existed. And so I'd be baking cookies, hundreds and hundreds of cookies. And I remember my friend Michael one day was like, I just had a craving for like a McDonald's cookie and he brought it over and it just tasted like pure chemicals. Yeah. It just tastes wrong. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is terrible. How dare you bring this into my house? I have nothing against the Girl Scouts or their cookies. I will absolutely fuck up a tag along. Okay. Not uh, not a frozen thin mint? I'll do yeah, sure. I like a th- frozen thin mint. I'm just weak for peanut butter. Oh. That's well, thing. yes. Peanut 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 butter. <laughs> uh. Well, there's a troop in Virginia that's the first to use this high-tech technology. The Wing Drone Delivery subsidiary of Alphabet, you know, the Google people, thank you again, food and wine, currently only operates in one small part of the United States, offering deliveries around Christiansburg, Virginia, since 2019. And the Girl Scouts, because of the pandemic, were in trouble because a lot of the troops were found to have all these, like, leftover cookies because they couldn't deliver them and they were like how are we going to sell them and how are we going to fundraise and light of a girl scout yes i mean are they made of real girl scouts And so they paired with the Girl Scouts and these drones can carry up to like three pounds. So it's like a a few boxes of cookies and it's more environmentally sound to deliver a one pound box of cookies with a 10 pound drone uh, than to do it with like a 3000 pound car. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Work. You know, if anybody's going to take over the world via drones, I'd rather be the Girl Scouts. <laughs> Could you imagine what else would, uh, they would be doing with those drones? <laughs> like, uh, 
I don't know, but if they make everybody wear those uniforms, I'm not mad at it. No, not at all. Are you a Golden Girls fan? Obviously. Oh, listen. I, mean, I was going to bring it up when we first mentioned blueberry cheesecake, but I was like, no, that's the obvious joke. Oh, yes, yes. I didn't even go there, and I'm a fanatic. But there's that great episode of the Golden Girls where the Sunshine Cadet uh, steals uh, Fernando the teddy bear. Yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah. So like now I'm thinking what that little that what that little horrible girl would do with with the drone. The power of drones and <laughs> cookie delivery. Oh my god! I think we are totally here for the Girl Scouts and them um, taking over the world by drones. Yeah. And last but not least, Pringles have joined the chicken sandwich wars with a little help from Wendy's by making a chicken sandwich Pringles chip. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say mixed feelings on this one. Are you not a Pringles fan? Um, I'm, I'm just not really a, like, I'm not a snack food person much. Now, there are no snack foods in my house because I'd be, uh, I'd be bigger than I already am thanks to the COVID weight. But the, the gay body dysmorphia of it all, I know. We talk about it all the time here. Um, the fantastic. So... Oh, thanks. But there are no snacks. There have never been. Uh, it's very rare to find snacks in my tiny apartment. If yeah. I want to eat something, I have to cook it. Yeah. You know, but if there is a Pringle around, I will stick my big paw into the canister. Yeah. No, I would also. Um, I would try this chicken sandwich Pringle. Does it make a difference that it's this Wendy's spicy chicken sandwich? It does. Yes. It absolutely fully makes a difference. Uh, uh, in a positive way or a negative way? In a positive way. Yeah. Oh. In a positive way. Good, 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 good. Um, it makes me more curious and tempted to try this Pringle. Now my, now my question is, is this, is this chip, crisp, whatever you want to call it, vegan? I don't know. What is it? Wait, does it say? Does it? What is it? What do they make the the flavor with? I don't know. There are no ingredients listed, right? But I mean, is chicken dust the thing? Yeah, it could be. Sure, why not? I, you take you dehydrate it and then yeah, you dehydrate it. the skin or dehydrate it and like and powder, powder it? it. Yeah, why not? I guess. I, I don't know. Necessarily, my first thought looking at a chicken would be, I'm going to powder this bitch. <laughs> but sure. <laughs> Somebody out there. Bitch, you shiny. You need some powder. <laughs> I need some chicken snow on this dish right now. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that there's some gastro chef out there who is just like, I'm going to make this, this a powder. And yeah. there's powder I just don't think it's there. Pringles. I don't yeah. think Pringles are, powder, are, are sitting here powdering chickens. Pringles by Wiley. WD-40, the new chip. You know? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. There's not there's not much more to say. I'm I am absolutely here for a spicy chicken sandwich. Um, even though I haven't, I'm not a fast food person uh, either. Yeah, I, I would get very stoned and eat these chips. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And I think with that, that's a great way to end food news update. I'm very happy to know that there's a spicy chicken Pringle out there in the world somewhere. I mean. What better news is there than food news? This is why we have pride. Yes, this is why. (laughs) 
Oh my God. This is why we have pride. Uh, speak- <laughs> Speaking of pride, with pride on the heels, I, I tend to ask my guests and In Your Mouth listeners, be very ready and, you know, very excited for two very special uh, pride episodes coming at you next week and the week after, if I can get it together. I'm super excited about that. But Speaking of pride and my guests, I love to ask the question around this time because I celebrate pride uh, like 52 weeks a year on this podcast with all my with all my queer food village. What does pride mean to you? Because I know you're also a big activist. For me, it's it's always been about community. And that's just a really important thing to me. So. Yeah, I think that things like the Queer Liberation March are needed and essential. I think the move to ban police from the march was overdue and needed. But they're not, because they're marching. They're not, and they're marching, and it's a whole thing. But you know what? Good for you, you put it out there. But I think it's really important for us as queers to be there for each other and just, just to stand up for each other. Yeah, absolutely. Because I I say a lot that, you know, as much as we are together as a community, we often are divided, you know. Too much. Too much. Absolutely too much. Are not real. And just over these little personal opinions and thoughts that just put that shit aside. Like, we are all in this together and facing the same shit at different levels and different capacities. And it doesn't yeah. matter who you are, you need to support each other. Yeah. And if one day they decide to handmaid's tail all of us, you know what? You're going to. Yeah. You're like, you're part, like, just because you have a different stance or you, or you don't want, you know, the trans colors and the black and brown on the, on the flag, you know what? You're still coming. They're still rounding you yeah. up with us. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, we do need to be together as a community. What was coming out like for you? It was, I I feel very lucky. Again, it's one of those things where in hindsight, I look at it and I was very, 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 very lucky and very fortunate. I have a very supportive and loving family. Um, I didn't face a lot of hardship in coming out. It happened kind of, well, I'll tell you the story really fast. Uh, I was kind of seeing this boy. I was 16 in Miami where I grew up and there was a a middle school a few blocks from me where I went to middle school that had a park with a big lake that was like a mile long lake and everybody walked around that path. And there was one night this boy who I was kind of meeting and seeing and I were walking around that lake and we were holding hands at some point because it was real cute and whatever. And I got home that night and my mom sits me down at the kitchen table and she says, so I got a phone call that some, you know, this woman saw you holding hands with a boy walking around the lake. Do you want to talk to me about that? And, you know, heart drops, stomach and throat, blood drains, not ready for this moment. And, you know, I I talked to my mom about it and I was like, yeah, I'm, This is this boy. And she goes, okay, well, is he Jewish? And can he come over for Shabbos? And if you're ever in the park after dark again, I'm going to kill you. And I told this cunt to stay out of my son's business. And if I ever heard from her again, I would kill her. And so it was not the reaction I ever expected from my mom. But it was 
you know, something to this day, I'm still very proud of her for having that reaction. And since then, she and my father both have been nothing but supportive and caring and very understanding. And as I've come into more of an understanding with myself, they are always very willing to have conversations and to learn. I had a really cute conversation with my mom a few years ago about being non-binary and how people might identify outside of the gender binary spectrum. And now she'll call me because she does, uh, they live upstate New York now. And so she's a cashier at a grocery store up there where it's very rural. And so she'll call me and say, Adam, I just had somebody come into my line and they dressed so cute. They were wearing all these bright colors. And my first question was, I'm sorry to ask, but may I ask your pronouns, please? And it just, <laughs> oh, the, the, my heart swells. And it's just so lovely to hear that these are things that my parents are doing on their own now. Yeah. And I just proof, just talk to people. Absolutely. And shout out to all the parents out there. Shout out to the moms and dads doing it, especially the moms, you know, who are carrying us and and loving us. Uh, we need more of you. And I always say these stories are so important to hear because I I know y'all are listening out there. I just don't know who you are. Please slide into my DMs and, and say hello because I, I love fan mail. But... Um, you know, it's it's the greater understanding of it all, right? It's the it's the good coming out stories and the not so great coming out stories that that you know encompass this whole this whole thing to greater understanding. I mean, even Harvey Milk said, you know, if you come out, if you come out of the closet and everyone's out of the closet, you know, it it demystifies it. It it yeah. It breaks down stereotypes. It lets them know that we are their children, yeah. you know, and maybe it'll let us move past these times. And it's funny that you bring up this subject about your mom and your dad, like asking questions, because the other day, right, uh, God love Gladys, Mama Gladys over here, right? She's she's very old school, right? And she loves me very much. But like a lot of this is new for her, sure. especially when it comes to things like being non-binary. And she had a lot of questions the other morning that I was trying to answer for her as best I could. And I was wondering if you would speak to what being non-binary means. I think it's a very personal thing for everybody. I think it's largely becoming this thing where people are realizing that there's no need to just ascribe to the binary so much, not so much that they necessarily feel out of place in their body, but more that they're just realizing that there's no need to say, hey, I'm inherently a man or I'm inherently a woman. It's becoming more widespread and more acceptable to just see people expressing themselves in various ways that I think it's more become that the definition of what is male and what is female is just kind of more arbitrary now. And I know for me personally, it has been this realization over the past, you know, five, six years where I just more and more realized that I don't fit into, you know, the common definition of what is a man. And I don't feel like I need to hold myself to that. I don't identify with it. I don't, you know, I look at, and I've talked to people, I've been like, what is it, you know, what is it that makes a man? What is it that makes a woman? And people will have so many different answers. And it's, you know, it ranges from what they're wearing, which we all know clothes have no gender. 
to what your job is, which doesn't make any sense to me, to, you know... The genitalia of it all. Yeah, and whatever. If that's what you need to define yourself by, then bless, live your life. But I'm, I'm, I like to think that I'm more than my penis, and I don't think that having a penis necessarily makes me a man. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and I've said uh, something very similar to Mama G. And the main thing I wanted to express to her was that, you know, there's, that there's a lot of information coming at you, you know, and it's coming at you very quickly. So yeah. you are asking the right questions. You shouldn't sure. be... You shouldn't be ashamed of asking, especially me, the questions because no. you want you want to know, right? So, and like, more power to her for having the courage to ask you about it because it's not easy for them either. No, absolutely, and and so the the wrapping the head around it of it all, I go listen. Sometimes it's not easy to understand. Sometimes you just have to let it be what it is, and and just understand that these people are or people, I should say. Are, are are living in a space of of their truth, right? Of how they feel, yeah. and nobody is nobody's out there like shooting people up or or doing anything wrong, right? So like it's just like okay, well, this is what this is, and and it doesn't necessarily fit in a box, right. and it doesn't and it doesn't need to be, right? Exactly. And it's just like okay, I I just need to learn some new vocabulary, and and we're just going to keep this trucking. But that's really the thing of it is that it's not so much that any of this is new behavior for people in general. It's just we're kind of coming to this point where we have words for it now. and We have language for it. Exactly. exactly. Like I think about when I was in high school and I, I hate thinking about how long ago that was at this point. But also I think about it and I think we didn't have terms like non-binary. We didn't have things to think about like outside the gender binary. That wasn't even in our thinking no it was hard enough to be like you know i first came out as bisexual because that's what i knew that's the only term that i had yeah yeah and shout out to the bisexual community out there that lets that lets all of us use their bridge to come on over (laughs) you know even then it's become a thing where you know i don't necessarily identify as gay i you know i'm not going to close myself off to an experience with somebody because of who they are yeah. And that's always been my thing. And I, I, you know, when my mom and I were first having this conversation back at that kitchen table, even then it was more, it's not what the person is that I'm attracted to, it's who they are. And I think that still holds true for me, at least. And it's really a beautiful thing that we have this language now, because if I'd had it back then, I feel like it would have made my life a lot easier. And like I said, I had it easy already. But it didn't mean it was an easy time for me. It's just in retrospect, yeah, I had it very lucky. Yeah. And listen, I always say, too, that the the inner turmoil um, is just inherent in us as LGBTQ people, even if we're even if we know we're in the best of situations, it's that inner, like, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the reaction is going to be. It's like the, yeah. the 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 luggage is already packed, even though there's no signs of us getting thrown out. And, you know, some some of us, right, you and I being luckier ones are thrown out, right, and uh, have a hard go of it. But hearing stories of coming up and coming through and and dealing with this and discovering and and, you know, and even... Going back, you know, taking a step back, 
because you think you had to because of for your career to that not only propel yourself forward, you know, and and that realization as well, right? Way to bring it full circle here, you know, to find your joy again. And I think I think it's all really beautiful. And I think it's like you are the perfect story. And I'm so happy that you have come on like as as we walk ourselves or run ourselves into Pride Month yeah. after after living in in solitude for over the past year and a half. You know? This has been so much fun. I don't yeah. know what I wish I had that I you know what, right place, right time. Um, obviously. But like, yes, thank you so much for coming on to play oh, with thank me. For having me. Of course, I'll have you anytime you want. Are you where I live? <laughs> Actually, I don't because you just moved. I was about to moved. say, no, you don't. I just moved. I've definitely <laughs> But we're not going to put that on air. Um, but you know what? We will put on air. Tell the kids where to find you if you want them to find you. Yeah. Um, really, Instagram is the only social media that I bother with. Um, you can find me on there at Gay Street Chef. It's like pastry chef, but gay. Yeah, that works. That works. Yeah. Um, you will see all the beautiful... Uh, photography highlighting queer folks. You can, you can also find them running around the clubs taking all these photos too. It's true, right? right? Yeah. Um, photography is picking up. Yeah, coming back. Yeah, I know. I've, the whole thing. It's it's very weird that like we we went like that. The world is changing again very uh-huh. rapidly to go backwards. And I was like, this is, this may be a little too fast for me. <laughs> Couldn't we yeah. ease into this? Y'all? <laughs> oh yeah. There was a party at $3 bill this past Sunday. I guess Sunday tea is the thing that's happening now with $3 bill and she is popping. Oh yeah. I've seen all the videos. I've seen and, all the videos. <sighs> you know, we know some of the same people. I see yeah. all the Instagram stories. There, it's a lot. It's beautiful. And, but you're, you get down there. My friends and I went down for maybe 45 minutes this past Sunday just to see it at the end of the night and we were all just kind of standing up against the wall on the side just being like "Mm -hmm. this is this is happening this is yeah it's happening it's happening and i feel like there's going to be a little ptsd involved oh yeah and a whole lot of new navigation of it all but um we are here we are queer and we have no fear i guess i like that all right well i'm putting that on i'm putting that on a summer tank too you know (laughs) <laughs> Queer history in 50 years. On May 25th, this term was coined. Yes, amen. Gay yeah. men to all of that, or gay people to all of that. Thank you one more time to Adam Ross. This has been such a special episode. Um, out there, in your mouth, listeners, uh, the first two weeks of Pride, I am really trying to like cook something up for y'all involving the pod and a lot of my former fabulous guests and it's coming to fruition. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, You know, show Adam some love, all the love, you know, double tap all the likes um, on the photography and the booty of it all at Gay Chef on Instagram. You know, you can always send me love um, at in your mouth pod on Instagram, Twitter, you know, the munios.com forward slash mouth merch. You know, all the things that you hear all the time. Don't forget to rate and review. And with that, I'm just going to say thanks for listening to In Yo Mouth.